Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to be able to worship with you. Hello to all of you joining us at the West Campus, South Campus, certainly Hive, Convergence streaming with us uh, all around. Uh, so glad that you have chosen to worship with the Christ Chapel family. If all of you would take out a copy of your sermon notes quickly, I want to point something out. On the back, uh, there is a QR code that is going to take you to a list of elders and deacons. Uh, this change of season, our uh, ministry year begins September 1st. That means we need to bring in new leadership. And so if you will uh, scan that code, it'll take you to a website. They'll give you all the information that you need. And if you're a constitutional member at Christ Chapel, you're gonna receive a text and email Friday and Saturday that will uh, lead you to a place, a ballot, where you can uh, vote uh, for those particular uh, men. So please uh, look at that uh, on your own and just know that that season is coming up and those men will be affirmed at the annual meeting, which is August 28th at one o'clock in the Fort Worth uh, Sanctuary. Uh, so, uh, but speaking of seasons and uh, our ministry season begins uh, September 1st, as I said, uh, but one of the things I love about the fall season is fall season to me equals football season. And I love football season. I love watching it. I'm too scared to play football myself, but I enjoy watching others play it. And so when football season comes up, you hear about all of these uh, battles for these different positions. And particularly, there's one battle that is on the forefront of everyone's mind, and that is the battle for the quarterback position. Everybody wants to know who the quarterback is, and it has such a prominence in the team that oftentimes people call it QB1, and that's always the question. Who's going to be the quarterback? Man, in our own backyard, I mean, who's TCU's quarterback going to be? That's on everybody's mind. Who's going to be QB1? That role is so critical and important, but again, holds such a prominence. It has such prestige if you're the school's uh, QB1. Uh, speaking of that, I, I saw a quarterback uh, sent this out, and I thought this was a really interesting uh, phrase that they put. Uh, they said, people want to take your spot until they realize what it takes to play your position. I thought, man, that is really insightful. People want to be QB1. They want the prestige. They want to be the one who, who gets the interviews. They want the one who gets all the, the prominence, but it takes a lot to play that position. And I think what that quarterback particularly was saying was, I don't think you want my workout routine. I, I don't think you want to spend hours in the gym. I don't think you want my, my diet. I, I don't think you want to spend all the time in film study that I spend. Uh, you don't want to pay that price. <laughs> You want my role, you just don't want to do everything it takes to play the position. And I go, yep, amen, yep. I don't want to get beat up by linebackers. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want that. And I think there, in human nature, we can all relate to that. Uh, we want the prestige. We want the prominence. We just don't want to pay the price. I, I don't want to pay that admission, and that, that's true not only just in life, but it's true in our spiritual lives uh, as well. We want all the perks of being a follower of Christ. I just don't really want to follow Christ. I, I, I admit it. Listen, this sermon is as much to me and has been revealing to my own heart. 
because I want everything that I can consume from Christ. You see, I want Christ to listen to my prayers, but I don't want to listen to his word. I want Christ to be close to me, to comfort me, but I don't want to be so close that I have to follow him and follow in his suffering and be persecuted for his sake. I want all the benefits, I just don't want to pay the price. And the truth is that if you're going to be a follower of Christ, that comes with great privileges, great privileges, great perks, but it also comes with responsibilities. You see, one of the reasons why Christ brings us into a relationship with him is not only to save us, not only so that we can enjoy the benefits of being called a child of God, but it's, he wants us to be a contributor, to contribute to this world in a way that he contributed to us. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. It's page 825 in the Blue Bibles. There should be Blue Bibles uh, wherever you are worshiping. Uh, if you got away from the house without one, you do need a copy of your scriptures. And I say this often and I'll say it again. If you don't have a Bible, Jen and I will buy you a Bible. You need to have a copy of the scriptures yourself. And so if you don't have one, let me know. It'd be our privilege uh, to buy you a Bible. But we're continuing our series inside out. And what I want you to see this week is definitely that we have to change our insides to make the external impact that Christ wants to make. And that means changing our mindset, which is what Jesus is trying to do with his disciples at this point in the Gospel of Matthew. He's trying to change their expectations. Because remember, he is marching toward Jerusalem. They've already begun that trek and not Shrek, Trek, okay? I know Shrek is on the brain of everybody right now, which is phenomenal. Praise God, our team is doing a great job. Continue to pray for them. But he's already begun that Trek towards Jerusalem. Gosh, it sounds like Shrek again. It's stuck in my head here. He's begun that journey toward Jerusalem. And that journey toward Jerusalem comes with these expectations that the disciples have. The disciples think that he's marching to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom. And the way that he's going to establish the kingdom in their minds is by overthrowing the government. He's gonna go kill all the bad people. And in fact, it's exactly opposite. He's gonna be the one that's gonna be killed to inaugurate his kingdom. He tells them that in chapter 20, verse 17. Look at it with me. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. Remember, it's because it's up in elevation. If you haven't been to Israel, you need to go to Israel. He took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. This is the third time that he's told his disciples this. I, I really don't know how much clearer he could be with them. I mean, you he, he is being as clear as possible, as candid as he can be with his disciples, and yet they're not getting it. And, and I don't think I would either, but they don't get it. 
He's trying to adjust their expectations about what is going to happen and also what that means for them. And as he adjusts their expectations, he's going to say, I am going to Jerusalem in order not to set myself up in this place of prestige and prominence, but I'm going there to serve. I'm going there to serve you and to serve humankind. And guess what? You're going to follow in my footsteps. And those are the expectations that he begins to adjust. And so what I want to do is look at verses 20 through 28, and we're going to break it down differently than it's broken down on your sermon notes, which is why I want you to have a Bible open so you can see it yourself. But essentially, what I think Jesus is telling his disciples today is you don't get the life of Jesus without living the lifestyle of Jesus. We see, we want the abundant life that Jesus offers. We want the peace that surpasses all understanding. We just don't want to live the lifestyle. We, we, we don't want to daily suffer. We don't want to daily deny ourselves. We don't want to daily crucify ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Just give me the perks. Let, let me give as little as possible and get the most I can. And he's gonna say, it doesn't work that way. You want the life of Jesus, you live the lifestyle of Jesus. Because to follow Jesus means to not only will inherit his life, but it means that we're gonna live his lifestyle. So let's begin in verse 20. We're gonna read verses 20 and 21. So this is, uh, the reason why I read uh, 17 through 19 is because I want you to understand the context. And I'm gonna pick back up on this, con- uh, this context in just a moment. But don't miss the first word of verse 20, then. <laughs> okay, uh, right on the heels of what we just read. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, Jesus said to her, what do you want? And she said to Jesus, well, say that these two sons of mine are declare that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. Okay, stop right there. So this, as they're marching up to Jerusalem, they think he's going to establish the kingdom. So a king sits on a throne. Gosh, yeah, you guys are interacting this morning. I love it. Yes, they sit on a throne. So if he's going to go establish his kingdom, he's going to sit on the throne. Then what this mother comes to him and very humbly asks is, hey, Jesus, can one sit at your right and can one sit at your left? Now, this, she's not only asking for proximity to Jesus, she's asking for prestige, for prominence. But I want you to understand who this is. The person who is asking this is a very interesting person. The mother is actually Salome or Salome or Salami, if you want to say it that way. I, you know, I don't know how you want to say it, but it's actually probably the sister of Mary, Okay, Mary, the mother of Jesus, would, which would make her two sons, the sons of Zebedee, Jesus' cousins, James and John. And we'll talk more about them in a few minutes. But these are people that already have this connection. And what she's trying to do is leverage this connection and go, hey, you know, what about uh, cousin James and cousin John? 
Huh? Can you put them at your right and your left? So she's asking if they can have this prominent role. You see, to sit at the right would have been a place of honor. To sit at the left would have been uh, the second in command, basically. So a place of honor, a place of power. And that's where she wanted her sons to sit. Very reasonable. I mean, every mother would want that for their kids. We all want what's best for our kids. But guess what? Her expectation of that, her request, her ask, is not that crazy when you think about what Jesus has just told his disciples. Think back to what we talked about last week and even look back at Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Remember when we're, we're talking about this was the, the, the rich young ruler and, and he, Jesus says, sell everything and follow me. And then he, Peter says, hey, well, Jesus, what happens if we sold everything and we did follow you? We left everything. And he, remember, I told you there's something specific in there for the disciples. But then I said, there's something specific for us, but those apostles. Let's go back to 1928. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, he's talking specifically to those disciples, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So they have the promise that one day they are going to rule and reign with Jesus. So this request is not that crazy. But it's not the thing and motivation that should be driving them as they follow Jesus. It shouldn't be their priority to be privileged in the kingdom of God. You see, followers of Jesus focus on God's purposes rather than their own privileges. Followers of Jesus focus on God's promises rather than their own privileges. Let's go back to the context here. The context is Jesus for the third time has just told his disciples, I am going to be flogged, mocked, ridiculed, killed, crucified in the most awful way. Then Salome comes up and says, hey, uh, by the way, can these two boys sit on your right and your left? I mean, no thought to, hey, Jesus, are you going through some stuff right now? You know, is it, are, are you anxious in any way? Like, is this, is this heavy on, on your heart? No thought of what his purpose was and their purpose to support him and to be his ambassadors in the world as his apostles you see, focusing on their own privileges completely blinds them to their purpose. And it does the same for us. You see, when we focus on the privileges that we have in Christ, which no doubt you have, and I wanna talk about those a little bit later, it blinds you to the purpose that you have. It blinds you to the needs of others around you, which, hey, that's what we're called to do is to be servants. And they're not serving Jesus whatsoever right now. At a time when he is being so emotionally vulnerable, they are so emotionally tone deaf because it's just about them. But it doesn't only blind us to the needs of others around us. The other thing that it does is it changes our expectations and I would even say 
corrupts our expectations of what we expect in the here and the now. Because if we focus on our privileges, then what we think is we get all the benefits of those privileges right now. Nothing is delayed. No delayed gratification. If I'm a privileged person, give me my privileges right here and right now. And Jesus says it's exactly the opposite. Look at verses 22 through 23. And Jesus answered them, you, and, and the, just so you know, the sons of Zebedee are there. And we know from, the, from another account in another uh, gospel that the sons were in on this whole ask. This wasn't just a, a, a wonderfully kind, a benevolent mother who went and asked on, on behalf of her sons. They're all three in it together. These are two mama's boys who are like, hey, mom, go ask for us, you know? So Jesus asked, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am going to drink? Remember, that is an Old Testament reference to the wrath of God. We know Jesus brings up this cup again in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll talk about later in this uh, study. And they said to him, oh yeah, we're able, definitely. We're we're up for, uh, you know, sitting on thrones. And he said to them, oh, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom he has has been prepared by my Father. You know, what Jesus is asking here to go back to the beginning is, um, do you know what it takes to play my position? (laughs) You, You want my role, You don't understand what it takes to play my position because to play my position means I'm gonna go be crucified for the sins of the world. And they were going to drink a a portion of that cup, although their death obviously wasn't sufficient for sins. But we know that James ended up dying probably the first, uh, one of the first martyrs' death. We know that from Acts chapter 12, verse two. And John was exiled. I mean, he was a political exile but was exiled to the island of Patmos and did not live a cushy, comfy life that he probably was asking for and expected at this time. So they would drink a a portion of that. But what he was essentially saying is, guys, you, you, you can't just ride my coattails here and not experience what I'm going to experience. You, we, we, you can't just mooch off the Savior. It's not just get, get, get. It's, it's also give. You see, they wanted to leverage the position that they had, whether it was as his disciples or whether it was as his cousins, to get all the benefits, all the perks, the fringe benefits. And he said, no, you've got to use that, those privileges to serve my purposes, not just your own. You see, you are called to use your privileges for God's purposes, You're called to use your privileges for God's purposes. And I mean that in a secular way, and I mean that in a spiritual way. All the privileges that we have, God has given to you so that we can leverage those for his purposes to make much of him, not make much of ourselves. You see, sometimes we get confused thinking that God's purpose is to give us privileges. (laughs) His purpose is, is not to privilege us. 
His purpose is to make much of himself. And that's what he's going into. Now, no doubt there are privileges and rewards for those who follow him. We talked about that again last week in Matthew chapter 19 in, that verses, uh, in verse 29. We talked about that. But that can't be our focus. That's not the primary driver. I read one commentator that said this, and I love this. Rewards will be given for the faithful and the sacrificial disciple. But if obtaining rewards is the motivating force it will destroy unity by producing envy, comparison, self-promotion, and competition. That kind of motivation will destroy your relationship with the Lord, and it will destroy your relationship with others. And we see that happen in this passage. Look at verse 24. It says, and when the 10, the other 10 disciples heard of this request, they were indignant at the two brothers. They were mad. How dare you ask? Now, are they saying how dare you ask because they cared about these brothers' spiritual walk with the Lord and their sanctification? Probably not. I, I, I know I'm speculating here, but I think they were just, I, I think this response exposes their own jealousy they were jealous that they beat them to the punch, <laughs> that they asked first that maybe they got there before they did, and Jesus promised them that, and they, they, they would know if, they, if these were cousins of Jesus, they would know that, oh, man, maybe they have the inside track. And what he's telling them, I think they're upset, and what he's gonna tell them is, it's, you don't get a position by politicking. You don't get a, a position by a popularity contest. It's not by the, the early bird gets the worm here, and he already said that. This is it's not, whoever sits at my right and my left isn't up to me, and I'll tell you who's sitting at his right and his left at the end. But uh, this isn't about who gets there first. He changes the paradigm of who's great and who's least in the kingdom of God. See, followers of Jesus focus on serving rather than being served. Followers of Jesus focus on serving rather than being served. You see, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it's not by getting to Jesus first and asking him the, the best way or the most not by winning a popularity contest, it's by serving. And he says that in verses 25 to 28. But Jesus called to, the, called to him and, and he said, called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus relates the secular idea of sitting on a throne to the spiritual idea. And he says, you know, with the Gentiles, with the un unbelieving, they sit on thrones so that they can exercise authority so that they can uh, dominate their subjects, so that they can be served, so that they can enact a, a tax and, and have people pay them for their wonderful role. And he says, 
With me in my kingdom, it's exactly opposite. I I use my position, I use my privileges so that I can serve others. Not so that they can serve me, not so that I can consume from them, not so that I can exact a tax on them, but so that I can pay for them. In fact, he says that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom, and you all know what a ransom is. Ransom is this amount of money that's a, a buyback, to, to buy somebody out of, of slavery. That's what, exactly what he's talking about here. It's this redemption price. And when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, when he paid that penalty for our sins, it was a ransom to buy us back from the slavery of sin so that we can be free in Christ. For all of you who have placed your trust in Jesus, he's paid for you. He's, his, his payment is sufficient. And he's paid in full That's what he means. His life was a ransom for yours. He died in your place. That's the kind of service that he's talking about makes him great and makes his servants great. The lower they go, the greater they are. That's what he's talking about. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then be a servant. And here's the example And that's the example that he gives is the example that that he is. You see, Jesus didn't come to consume. He came to contribute. And and that's totally different than our human mindsets. See, we want to consume. We want to be served. And that's exactly opposite in the kingdom of God. See, you're called to use your position to serve others. I keep going back to where he says, It shall not be so among you. It's not that way for you. You're not like the Gentiles. We don't fight and and claw and grab and scrape for positions and step on each other's back to climb the ladder so that we can be served. It's not that way among you. You want to be great, serve somebody else. That's how we find greatness in God's kingdom. That's where we find great fellowship with him. And if you think about the position that these disciples have, and, and the, the, they have a unique window into who Jesus is, who better to be his ambassador than the one that's been around him, that, that can serve him, that, that, that knows him? And it got me thinking about the position that scripture tells us that believers have in Christ. We are called, for those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you are called a child of God. Because you are a child of God, you are called, in Romans chapter eight, verse 17, you are called an heir with Christ. An heir. That means you are a co-heir with Christ. You inherit everything that he's inheriting. Like, do you realize that? I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing when you think about it. But here's the thing about that position of being a co-heir with Christ. It can't be taken away from you. It's secure. You can't make yourself more of an heir or less of an heir. You just are. You're his child. You are his. Saved, sanctified, and set apart 
to inherit all of those wonderful blessings in the kingdom of God. So you have nothing that you have to worry about, nothing that you have to step on anybody for or be promoted to. Everything is secure. Therefore, you can go and serve. Everything's already set aside for you. You don't have to worry about earning anything. Now we go and we go, all right, God, I'm free to serve you. That's why we can use our position to serve others. You see, the the bottom line and the big idea is this. A follower of Jesus is a servant of others. You cannot say you're a follower of Jesus and yet not serve others. You can't say you want the life of Jesus and not follow in the lifestyle of Jesus. If we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, then we're going to serve others. That's exactly what he says here. It shall not be so among you. And he sets the example for that. And he wants you to serve not only so that God gets the most glory, yes. Not only so that other people are blessed through your service, although that will happen, but actually serving is better for you. It's best for you. Uh, I read a study, an ICU doctor said that the best form of self-care is serving others. Best form of self-care is to serve others. He was talking about how it takes the focus away from you. And he says that those folks that do, he has experienced less anxiety and stress. They have better heart health and they live longer. It's better for you. It's almost like God planned it that way. It's crazy. See, to be a follower of Jesus means you're a servant of others. Here's what that means and what that looks like to adopt a servant's mentality, a servant-mindedness as you follow Jesus. Let me give you three very quick things. First, confess that everything you are and anything you have is by God's grace. Confess that everything you are and anything you have is by God's grace. And I, am, am very, I try to be very careful about the words I put on, on the notes and the words that I say. But I, at first I had understand, then I put recognize, and then I took it one step further and I put confess. Because I think it's one thing to understand. I think it's another thing to recognize, but then I think it's an, another step to actually confess. God, everything I have is yours. Anything I have is by your grace. I, I haven't earned anything. I don't deserve anything. And when we, when we admit that, when we confess that, not only with our lips, but also with our life, it combats that entitlement mentality of I earned this, I deserve this. Everybody should serve me when we realize, no, 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 anything I am is by God's grace. In fact, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses nine and 10. This is the apostle Paul who says, for I am the least of these apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Uh, brother and sister, do not forget that we were enemies of God before we were children of God. 
We were his enemies, <laughs> completely against him. And yet he decided to adopt us as sons and daughters. Anything you have, anything you are, is by his grace. You know, I think it's healthy. It's a healthy thing for us to remember who we were and where we came from. It's never a bad thing. Because when we remember that we came from nothing and anything we have is by grace, then we go, we want to give that away freely. <laughs> what a great message. What, what, what a great gift to offer to other people. But it begins with our own mentality first, confessing that ourselves, humbling ourselves before God. Then second, adopt a give first rather than get most mindset. Adopt a give first rather than get most mindset. We are wired by human nature to give the least in order to get the most. In fact, Cody McQueen, I pride myself on that. I pride myself on bargain shopping. I give the least and get the most. I, I love that. I, and it's different in the kingdom of God. He says it's not about give the least to get the most. It's adopt a give first mindset. Going into every conversation, going into every relationship, going into every interaction, not asking what can I get out of this, but rather what can I put into it? What can I, what, how, how can I add value? This is school season. Adopting an addition mindset rather than a subtraction mindset. What, what, can I, what can I subtract from this? Is this worth my time? Jesus says in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, as Luke is recounting this for the apostles, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to add value into a situation rather than sitting there and going, what can I get out of it? And, and guys, and this is, I wrote this in the passage that's about being a mooch. Nobody likes a mooch. Nobody likes somebody that just always goes in and says, what can I get from you? We, we don't, we don't want to answer those people's text messages or phone calls. You don't want to do that. And guys, we don't, don't walk into a relationship with a subtraction mindset, but rather an addition one. But where this has also convicted me is just in my relationship with God. That do I have an addition mindset or a subtraction mindset with God? God adds everything to our lives. We just said that. Anything we have is by his grace, and praise God for that. But I want you to think about just your relationship with him when you think about a worship service, when you think about your quiet time, when you think about reading his word or your prayer time, is it added value to you and you go into it going, God, what can I get out of this? You know, man, I don't know if I really wanna read the Bible today because I didn't get anything out of it yesterday. I don't know if I really wanna pray because, you know, he, hasn't, he didn't answer the prayer yet, you know. I don't know if I really wanna to go to, to the worship service, you know. I don't, I don't really like the song that they sang last week. And we get into these preference things about what do I get out of it, rather than do you realize that worship is about what you bring? 
It's about that you give God your attention. It's that you give him your time. It's that you give him your gifts. It's that you give him all of your affection. It's more about what you give to him than saying, well, God, make it worth my time. Make it worth, worthwhile for me and what I get out of it. In Christ Chapel, I want our worship to be marked by us bringing our hearts and our minds and everything we have because he's worth it. Not coming and going, God, entertain me. I'm a consumer. Yes, of course we're consumers because everything we have is by his grace, but worship is about telling him of his worth and he's worth everything that we could ever give because everything we have is everything he's been given to us. So adopt a give first mentality. And then finally, find joy in serving others rather than seeking to be served yourself. Find joy in serving others rather than seeking to be served yourself. This world will tell you that you have arrived when people serve you. And we strive for those promotions where people serve us. Or we strive for those uh, all-inclusive vacations where people serve us. And those are, those are wonderful things. Enjoy those. Praise God. But the joy is in serving others. That, that's where the real joy is found, is it's more blessed to give than receive. And I know this from Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who contributed didn't just consume, those hall of faith people, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which so closely clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's the race following Jesus? And we look to him the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. See, for the joy set before him. I'm, I think Jesus was 100% human. I think scripture tells us that, and 100% God. And he endured the cross for the joy set before him. Not the joy in the moment. I don't think Jesus enjoyed being crucified. I don't think Jesus enjoyed serving in that way, but for the joy set before him, the joy to come, he served us in that way. And because he did, he humbled himself, then God exalted him. And where did he exalt him to? Where does that passage say he's exalted him to? The right hand of God. So who's sitting at Jesus's right hand? Who's sitting at his left? The person sitting at his left is God the Father. It's the one who has authority. It's not Jesus' to put on his right and his left. That's for the Father. Why? Because the Father exalts the humble. And he exalted the one who is the most humble. And that's our Savior, our example, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to adopt that servant's mindset that we come to serve, not to be served, with an addition mindset, not a subtraction. And that example is set for us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to serve you, to know that we were once enemies of you, yet 
you called us to be servants, to represent you. And that's when we see, that's when we find joy. That's when we see you powerfully work through us, Lord God. And so, Lord, may we humble ourselves before you and, and offer our entire lives, our being toward you. It doesn't matter if people see it. It doesn't matter if we're promoted here in this world. It doesn't matter if there's prominence or prestige, Lord God, because we know that you see you take account and you're with us every step of the way. May we find joy in following in the footsteps of Jesus as we serve those that you came to serve. It's in his name we pray, amen.